but it assumes that there's one person at home to manage an entire household. And then there's one person who goes out to, to make money. And now most of us have double income families. So there's just a lot of time pressure. When I think about wake up in the morning, go, everybody's at work, pick up the kids. Maybe there's activities, maybe there's not. Go eat dinner, bath and bed. And there's just this total work culture, which is something that Anne Douglas talks about um, uh, in her book, Happy Parents, Happy Kids. It's really intense and it's hard on all of our nervous systems. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juna Women Podcast, where I sit down with mamas to talk about their health, their work, their parenting, and all the different ways that they're keeping it together. Juna is a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your pregnancy and motherhood journey. Everything we do is to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. On today's episode, I'm talking to Olivia Scobie. Olivia has her master's in social work and specializes in helping moms and families deepen their resiliency and navigate the most challenging aspects of parenting. On this episode, we dive into the top signs of mom burnout and the six things you can do to help avoid getting burned out in the first place. This episode should be required listening for all new moms and is especially poignant during the pandemic where we are all finding ourselves in new and unexpected situations. I hope you enjoy. Olivia, I am so excited to have this conversation. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My name is Olivia Scobie, and I am a social worker from Toronto, Ontario, and I specialize in perinatal mood and birth and reproductive trauma and all things related to kind of family transitions. So I I have a private practice in Toronto, and then I also run a not-for-profit called Postpartum Support Toronto, as well as have a training institute that I teach other perinatal professionals how to sort of work with clients in this space. So I wear a lot of different hats <laughs> right now. Yes, yes. Um, and so the topic we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper in today, There's, a, I mean, there's a million things that we could talk about, but I think the one that is probably the most uh, resonant right now is parental burnout. And so some people might be hearing this term for the first time, and the more that we talk about it, they're going to be like, oh my God, that's me. So if you can just go ahead and explain a little bit about what it is. Yeah, I think of parental burnout as the last stop on a sort of spectrum of nervous system fatigue. And so often I'll think of compassion fatigue as as the first place. And that's when we're feeling really tired. We're feeling like we need a little bit of space from our kids. And it's usually rectified with taking some space, having a little bit of time to yourself. And it's easier to kind of come back from. And then we can get into the bucket of vicarious trauma, meaning that we've just been exposed to a raw sort of nervous system sensation too much. And it starts to change how we feel in our bodies and how we feel about our children. And sometimes we can reorient to how we see ourselves as a parent or how we see our children. And that goes from maybe seeing your children as, oh, you know, kids are just being kids to, oh, my kids are nightmares, like they're little devils. (laughs) And then at the end of that spectrum is full burnout. And by that, I mean the complete sort of depletion 
of completing a stress cycle, and I can talk about that in a few minutes, to the point that you feel just weary to the bone and you lose enjoyment for the day-to-day, you lose enjoyment often in your relationships, and things start to feel pretty hopeless. And it can feel really confusing for folks to know Am I burned out? Am I depressed? Do I need a vacation? Vacations aren't that possible right now with COVID. And so there's just a lot of, I don't know what to do next. And people often turn to time management strategies, but it's not an issue of not having your time organized well enough. It's an issue of there being just too much demand without enough um, release. Right. It's funny, like you mentioned a vacation. I think like especially with parental burnout, nothing to me is scarier than going on a vacation with my children. Oh, yeah. Um, It's like, oh, 24 hours a day of just like not having our stuff, not having – and especially like as we're, you know, closing out 2020 where we – the amount of times we were like, oh, my God, I need a change of scenery. Like we just need it. We need a change up. And it's it's just like it's never what you dream it to be, especially because you're not getting the release that I think you're about to describe when we talk about like completing the stress cycle. <laughs> so. Yeah, I call them family trips, which is different yeah. from a vacation. Exactly. Yes, I like that. Trip. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So you do you want to talk a little bit about because I you know like I it's funny I just finished the book Burnout and I'd love to have someone that I can ask questions to about it. Cause like I, it's, I, what, yeah. So talk a little bit about completing the stress cycle first before I jump into my questions. <laughs> yes. And a lot of this comes from the recent work of Emily and Amelia Nagaski in the book Burnout. But I mean, they're not sort of saying anything that is really fresh or really new, but the way that they describe it is really resonating for a lot of folks right now. And it's the idea that when we think about the start of a stress all the way to releasing that stress from our body, we want to go around in a circle. And so the first aspect of it is that there's some sort of stress trigger. And when people talk about being anxious or when they talk about stress, it's actually okay. It's a really normal, healthy response to threats in your life to have an anxious or stress response, meaning that your heart starts to beat a little bit faster, you start to get wide-eyed and look around in terms of thinking about problem solving, that it's actually a physiological response to the idea that there's a threat around us. And so we have the cue, we have the stress response, and then ideally we want to get away from the stressor so that we're not feeling threatened anymore. And then once we've got away from the stressor, we want to release all the stress hormones, the physiological aspects of stress from our body to get back to a place of homeostasis. And so the the way that I talk about it, the way that would work historically is that if you imagine that you were, I don't know, walking through the woods and then suddenly a bear came out of nowhere that you would be like, there's a bear. And then really quickly, your body would determine the safest course of action of like, do we want to run away? Do we want to fight the bear? Do we want to freeze until we can get access to more information about what would keep us safe? And then you would get away from the bear in some way, either fight it or run away and get to safety. And then once you um, had got to safety, all the things that you had done in your body 
sort of cue up the response to your body to be like, oh, it must be safe now because the heart pounding, the extra adrenaline in the body, I use that to run as fast as I can, but now it's safe. And so I can just release any of the other stored up cortisol or adrenaline parts of my stress response and let it all go and then feel safe again. But what's happening now is that most of our threats aren't like a bear in the woods. The threats we have now are like our children screaming at the top of our of their lungs. And then we go, oh my goodness, like they must need something. And so we're not getting away from the stress with enough frequency to be able to release the hormones in the way that would feel really good for our bodies. Because your child may scream, turn on that stress response. You turn to them. You're like, okay, what do you need? Oh, you just needed me to like pay attention to you for a second. Fine. And you get away from the threat, but you're still pumping with all of the cortisol and adrenaline in your body because you haven't done anything to release it, like run away or fight. Ideally something physical, but also breath can be really helpful for that as well. And so before you've had the ability to let go of all that stress, you're in it again because then your child yells again or there's a crash in the kitchen and you have to run to that. And you're just sort of going from a stressor to resolving the stressor and then back and forth. And we, most of us aren't going all the way around the circle to get to that place of just you know resting and feeling really okay in our body. And what happens is that can create quite a toxic buildup. It's really not great for our bodies to be flooded with cortisol and adrenaline all the time. And so you start to become really depleted and really exhausted and really hopeless. And that is the place of parental burnout. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. The question that I have especially, you know, in reading that book, I was like, well, I do exercise daily. And I, you know, like, why am I still, you know, like, I, so I, I feel like I'm like, am I getting that release? But I, now my, so my question would be is, let's say, let's like use your example of like, my, my kids are screaming, or they're just not listening. And I'm like, really frustrated, my stress response has gone nuts. And then that happens like 16 more times throughout the day. 
does it do I need to be like taking a breath or doing a quick like you know getting some energy out or whatever that like completion of the stress cycle is in between each of these or like doing it once at the end of the day and kind of having that like focus that like this is what I'm trying to do like the I guess the intent the intention this is what I'm trying to do is that what completes the cycle or is it just just doing it I think ideally the answer would be, yeah, every time you have that like rush of cortisol and adrenaline that you'd be doing something to soothe and calm down, but that's just not realistic mm-hmm. for, for parents. And so sometimes the language of the window of tolerance is a little bit more helpful for parents because then the window of tolerance is that you imagine that there's a window with which you can emotionally regulate and Sometimes your window is going to be really small. Like if you've been up all night feeding a baby, or you've had a really long day with a sick child, your window is probably really small. It probably doesn't take much to sort of tip you out into what's called hyperarousal. So that's that fight, flight, high freeze response, mm-hmm. or to tip you out through the bottom into a hypo response, which is like dissociative power down. Like I actually can't respond. I'm. It's too much for me. I feel flooded. And so this way you can sort of gauge day to day how big is my window? You can often feel yourself starting to creep up and out of your window. And then you're like, okay, I need to bring myself back in so that some days, yeah, you might be able to go for a really intense walk or go for a run or hit a punching bag and have like a full release. But usually throughout the day, all we get are micro moments of I'm going to flip out soon how do I support myself right now? I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to lock the door. I'm going to take a few deep breaths. I'm going to scroll on my phone. It's going to take two to three minutes just for me before I go back out there. But you're going back into into the stress. And I also like to separate what I call sort of structural issues, which is my life is not organized in a way that is sustainable for me. And so there's a structural problem. And right now, there's not a lot we can do to create different structures because in some places, childcare or school is not available. So you can't necessarily have space from each other. And in some places, you are working at home with a partner and there's like kids and noise around. So it's not that somebody has done anything wrong. We just aren't set up for success in the way that normally with older children or non-COVID times, we might be able to do that versus the day-to-day of like, I'm just in the stress. And so how am I going to monitor my own reaction so that when I feel myself, again, falling outside of that window, that I can pull myself back in to a different place? You know, that makes total sense. And so, so I, you know, like I want this podcast to be relevant in non-COVID times, but I think, you know, like right now, what would be some ways that we can structurally set that up because our options are more limited? So for me, with my own kids, I actually need to get away from them. I actually can't be with them that much, which I know flies in some of the ways that people interpret like healthy attachment, but actually time away so you can miss each other so that you can not be a parent, you can access other parts of yourself is really helpful and really soothing. And so if you have a partner, if you're co-parenting, that can be a way that you can support yourself by giving each other time alone, time Mm -hmm. away from the kids, even if it's within the house or negotiating, like, can you take the kids out? Can you take them for a drive? Can you take them for a walk? Can you take them to the park so that I can be alone in the house, depending on what makes sense for you? If you're not partnered, 
it's a lot harder. And that's where um, I'd really be encouraging folks to think about using their community to get time away from their kids. And if you can't get time away from your kids in a big way, meaning someone else is looking after them, that you take those micro moments, that you set the baby down in the crib, even if they're screaming their head off, and that you go and soothe yourself a little bit before you go back in. That you, when you're holding a baby who's screaming and you feel like you can't put them down, that you sing, hum, activate, I'll talk about the vagus nerve, so that you can try and soothe yourself that way. Or cry. If they're crying, you get to cry too. And if it's noise, I'm really noise sensitive. I actually need to get away from the noise. And I would leverage screen time. My kids are older now. I'm going to be like, everybody's watching screens so that I can just go sit in another room, even if it's just for a few minutes, again, to sort of bring myself back into um, the window. And it's often really small stuff right now that people can do from a, a structural perspective. Yeah. And those, that's, those are all great tips. When you're taking those micro moments, do you recommend like doing breathing exercises? Yeah. Like what do you recommend in those micro moments? So breath work is really supportive for a lot of folks. And I, I never use the term take a deep breath because I think a lot of us have a really negative association. It feels like somebody's saying like, calm down. Right. But breath work is really structured. And so there's two types of breath work that I really like. The first is called box breathing, and that's where you breathe in for a count of four, hold for a count of four, release for a count of four, and then hold for a count of four. And it can be helpful sometimes to draw out a box in your mind's eye or to just trace even a box on your own body. And the other one that I really like is called the four, seven, eight. And so that's where you breathe in for a count of four and then you hold for a count of seven and then release through your mouth for a count of eight. And that one's really interesting because most of us get a little uncomfortable by the time we get to seven seconds of holding our breath. And it can be a cue for your body to, when you release, to be like, oh yeah, I can just let go. Like if I'm holding in my body, like I can actually just release it. I don't have to hold on to it anymore. And that even if you're doing five of those in a row, it can have a really profound impact on what's happening physiologically. Another way that I really like to, to give clients is to work with their vagus nerve. And so the vagus nerve is this really long nerve, part of our uh, nervous system, sort of runs down from the brain all the way down the spine and sort of we it touches a lot of different parts of our body, our chest, our, our stomach. And so you can soothe your nervous system by trying to activate uh, vagus nerve stimulation. One of the easiest ways to do that is to stimulate the uvula, that like hanging ball thing in the back of your throat. Mm-hmm. Humming, singing, screaming, all of that will get it moving, gargling really hard. So if all you can do is take 30 seconds to like run into the bathroom and gargle really hard, often mm-hmm. you feel a little bit better really cold water. Cold is a really great way to uh, stimulate the vagus nerve. Splashing cold water on your face, particularly on your neck or your chest, can also be a way um, to reset the system, as well as leveraging our social connections. I know that a lot of us are touched out, so if you aren't feeling touched out, a really solid hug from your partner I really like with my partner, like we'll often just lie in each other. It's kind of like having a weighted blanket where mm-hmm. my partner will say like, he just 
he's come lie on me for a minute and it's so soothing, at least for us. And there's nothing sexual about it. It's literally just lying on somebody. Your heart rate, your heartbeat often lines up, your breath lines up, or also a concept called the six second kiss, which you can use with kids or you can use with a partner. But it's the idea that you can't kiss someone that you like, whether it's on the lips or whether it's on the head for six seconds without having a soothing co-regulated response like that cues up to the body it's safe because we wouldn't be kissing right now if it wasn't safe for us so again just micro moments yes it's funny my husband and i do a i think a 20 second embrace (laughs) in our kitchen whenever he comes down from work and we (laughs) guess it's like that kids are going crazy it's usually like dinner time and it's like an absolute nutso time in our house and we have this it's like a joke where like we need to embrace for 20 seconds because it will calm our bodies down and then we joke that we're like i never thought that like we would need to hug each other to be safe from our kids (laughs) yeah (laughs) Totally. <laughs> this is the world we're living in. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let's no, just see from the noise of the kids. Yes. It, that's what it is. You know, you said it earlier, you're talking about being noise sensitive. I think like that's like my husband also joked because we, we got the new AirPods that are noise cancellation. And he's just like, I just, I don't want them to cancel the noise because I want to know that I can hear something. He's like, I just want them to like dial it down. <laughs> I want yes. to be at like volume one instead of volume 26. Totally. Yeah. So I kind of want to back up a little bit and then like what are the real risks to parents and kids if we ignore this parental burnout that we're experiencing? I mean, I think the biggest risk is probably just to your body that Mm -hmm. the level of exhaustion and pushing through at that level of exhaustion is too much and it's actually not sustainable. And this is where people start to get – really sick. And I don't mean that in a threatening way, but it's really poisonous actually to have cortisol and adrenaline pumping through your body all of the time. And I remember once I had gallbladder surgery a couple years ago and there was a problem and I needed to stay in the hospital for an extra couple days and I, I had to share a room. And there was a woman who came in and I don't know what kind of surgery she'd had, something, she had a bandage on her head. And she slept the entire time she was there. The nurse came in to be like, you got to go to the bathroom and try to get her to eat. But she slept for almost 24 hours straight. And then the next day, the nurse came in and said, okay, your family's here. It's time to go home. Let's pack up your stuff. And she started sobbing, just sobbing. And the nurse was like, why are you crying? Like, you're going home. This is a good thing. And then her husband walked in with three very young kids who were bouncing off the walls and just mm-hmm. totally loud and wild and, you know, being little kids. And I was like, oh, I know why she's crying. She's yeah. crying because this might be the first time that she's been allowed to take care of her physical needs in a really long time, years probably. Yeah. I also think that it's really hard on our relationships, whether that's our partners or also our relationship with our kids, because it's just too much. It's just too much to be needed in that way, in that really self-sacrificial way. And I think that it builds a lot of guilt. I think it builds a lot of resentment. And usually when people tell me, I don't think I like parenting, or like, I don't really like my kids. Usually what I think they're saying is either I'm burnt out, or I don't like the work 
parenting. I don't like the way that I'm doing the work of parenting versus I don't like to be in relationship with my kids and really separating the work from the parenting because there's no job in the world where you would be expected to do everything perfectly all the time and lots of different functions of work because parent work involves a lot of different things. Some things we feel skilled at, some things we feel less skilled at, but it's normal to me that you would need time off in that way. And I think that it's really hard relationally because there's no one in the world I want to spend this much time with. Nobody. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And it's, you know, what's interesting is I like used to say to my husband, like it, especially when, like when we only had two kids, I, you know, now it's just, it's totally crazy, but it, like it, everything felt, parenting felt so much easier when like we had the time to recharge. Like, so when our kids were both napping at the same time, our naps aligned, like, and my husband and I could like go and recharge for two hours and then we got right back into parenting. And it was just like, I had essentially, I guess, like completed my stress cycle and was like back in the game and was able to be a much better and more present parent. And now, like, I mean, we haven't gotten a nap to a line. Like, so we're, one of our children doesn't nap anymore. Like, it's just, it feels like the weekends, the days are 15 hours long, like, and there's no break. And like, it's just very hard for us to like, you know, be on for 15 hours straight. It's just like, I don't, <laughs> like most people don't do that. Even people that work really long hours, like there's still off time where they can just zone out at their computer, you know, or whatever it is. I just, I feel like, it is just such a full-on 24-7 attack and yeah. so much is expected of you. <laughs> and we've never spent this much time with our children historically, ever. Even when we think back to 50 years ago with like, you know, the primary goal of parenting or the primary saying being like, go outside and play, that it's always been really normal to have breaks from your kids. And I don't know if you saw, there's a really interesting documentary on Netflix called babies a couple years ago. And they yes. showed how different people dealt with young children and babies across the world. And I loved that for one of the families, they tied their like toddler to a tree because it was just the safest thing. They're like, here, just like hang out with the tree. I'll be back in a few minutes <laughs> because that's really normal. I have to go do something that is not compatible with children. So I'm going to make sure you're safe and I'm going to go do that thing and then I'll be back. That's actually a good segue, I think, because I want to spend a little bit of time in with mom guilt too. And I, because I think like, I don't know what it is about our culture, but like the expectation that like I need to be all things and the best at all things and making sure that you're provided with the absolute like happiest of, you know, like I think like it's just too much. It is too much. And I I wrote about in, in the book, Impossible Parenting, which is a book that came out a couple months ago, what that culture is and the cultural shifts. Because we, we don't think about parenting as being influenced by the time or place that we live, but it's really hugely impacted by the time and place that we live. And right now, the culture of parenting is really rooted in self-sacrifice making every moment magical, very child-centered, so prioritizing the needs of the children over the needs of the parent, so really seeing them in competition rather than like we all have needs that need to be cared mm -hmm. for. And the risk feels so high right now if you get it wrong. Often every interaction, every moment is either the opportunity to get it right 
or the opportunity to get it wrong. And that's just not how any relationship works. In every relationship, there's going to be an ebb and flow of connection and disconnection and coming close and needing to be apart from each other. But not following the quote unquote rules of what it means to be a good parent right now, which are impossible and contradictory and also not necessary, causes a lot of internal guilt. And I will often with folks talk about getting really clear around where the guilt is coming from. Is the guilt coming from inside you because your internal parenting compass is telling you that something's really off? And, you know, for me, I really value kindness in my parenting. And so if I'm not kind to my kids, it feels really bad for me. And I want to go and repair that versus something that feels like is it is expert advice or something that you're seeing online or in the community. And if you're feeling guilty about that, you can really let that go. So screen time. When people are like, I feel so guilty about screen time. I'm like, what is it about screen time that is so hard for you? Well, there was some study a couple of years ago that said I shouldn't do it. Even though it works for the kids, it works for the parents. And right now, most of us are kind of parenting from a place of like our B game or our C game or a D game. We're not on our A game. And that's totally fine and normal. But bringing that clarity to, is this guilt mine or is it stemming from somewhere else allows you to either be guilty. So like, yeah, I said something mean to my kids. Like I'm guilty of that. So now I can go do something. I can go repair that versus for me, outside time was a big source of guilt. I hate going outside. Like I don't Mm -hmm. like the cold. I really hate sunscreen. Like there's a lot of hate about going outside with bugs. That wasn't mine. That's like other people's ideas around how kids are supposed to behave, function, and what they're supposed to do. And once I gave myself permission to be an inside family where we watch movies and we play board games and we do different things. And if the kids want to go out, they can go out without me. It really changed how much guilt I was holding about that particular thing. That's a good, that's a good piece of advice. I think like is, you know, like I wonder if I, do you have any exercise exam, like exercises that if it's like, oh, like I, cause I wouldn't even know where to begin with like to start naming where like, like, cause you like, you, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm like trying to find my thought on this, but we are like outside time. is like very clear. Screen time is very clear. Birthday parties. Like all, there's like, you know, like all these things where I, I need to figure out where my where that like where that guilt is coming from. Do you have worksheets to help parents kind of identify those? Yeah, there is an exercise you can do called values mapping, and there is this is fully laid out in in the book. But I can also just tell you, it's really helpful if you have a co-parent to do it together, where you start by remembering some of your favorite childhood memories. You may not have a lot of childhood memories that are really pleasurable, but if you do, sort of sussing those out and sharing them together. And then also talking about some of your favorite memories with your kids and then talking about imagining like that we are at our 99th birthday party and we're like reflecting back on our family life. Like what do we want to be known for? What do we want our kids to say was really important to them? And there's a list of words to choose from if you can't um, sort of think of the themes of all those stories. But usually there are themes around adventure or themes around quality time or themes around cooking, like meals are really important. So I don't know what that is for everybody, but it's a different list for everyone. And it's helpful. I'm like, try to get it down to five, five really core 
pieces that are important to you. doesn't mean there aren't more, but it's nice to know what the top ones are because that can become your guide. Mm-hmm. And to know what your partners are because they may be some alignment and there may be some misalignment, but it's also helpful. Like in my case, if my partner was like, we have to go outside, we have to go outside, kids need to go outside. If that was really important to them, it would have caused a lot of friction for us. Right. And as you sort of look for the theme amongst those stories, often stuff starts to get clearer. But anytime you're feeling really activated, like either activated in a good way, like, yeah, this is a good moment. Pay attention. What about that moment is so good? Or anytime it's a really bad moment, either at home or scrolling through Instagram and seeing your friend create like at home, you know, daily crafts during COVID while their child's not in and take care. And you're like, oh, I feel guilty. I should be doing that to check it out. Is that true? Does it feel like yours? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good example. I like, I remember being like, I'm doing none of that. Like this is survival mode right now. And I, I think like I feel really good that I felt very little guilt over that. As you should. There's nothing yeah. to feel guilty about. <laughs> I know. I'm like, that was one of the things I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I just – I'm a working parent with my kids at home that I cannot be making this experience a learning one for them. And so, my, you know, like my – if my son is going to be watching a movie while his sister naps, then – and there's two hours of peace for me, then like that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I think the, the hard part, and we'll all see it, is kind of refinding your – like your norms after the world opens back up for us. Cause like my son now is like going to expect that it's like, you know, like that it's movie time from one to three <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's not really, it's not what we do now. And you know, when he went back to school, it was actually really hard for him and he kept like pushing me on it because he wanted to be home for, so he could watch a movie rather than be at school where they made him lay on a mat for 30 minutes and like, and yes. then join the activity. And I mean, granted, like we're all pretty flexible, but it was just it, like, I had to hammer home to him. Like, you know, that we're going to go back to normal life. Like this is, that was what we did in, that was what we did during this period. And we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. And mm-hmm. part of that, that I just want to name too is another significant piece that shows up for us is how hard it is for us to sit with our child's distress that we immediately want to go into problem solving immediately want the distress to go away because actually it's our own distress of their distress. that's really pumping that. And that is a huge part of burnout as well compared to, yeah, you got to go to school. Yeah, you do. (laughs) That's just not like that's just what's going to happen. And you might be really disappointed and you can validate all your kids' feelings that are coming up around that. And you're going back to school now. But a lot of people feel guilty when their child is having a feeling that's not positive, even though that's really normal. It's really normal to be disappointed in the world. It's really normal to get annoyed if you have to do something that you don't want to do. But that's part of living in society and living in relationship. Definitely. You know, and you kind of talked about it earlier, and I don't know even if this is your area of expertise, but I'm curious, and so I'm going to ask. We we talked about we're spending more time with our kids than ever before, and I, you know, like I'm assuming that our anxiety that comes from that, I, I think like kids now have more anxiety than we ever did before. Is that true, or is, are we just now able to label that feeling and we're more 
like we're more like, people are talking more about mental health now than they ever were. But I, I just feel like kids have more anxiety at younger ages than they did when I was a kid, at least. Is that a wrong assumption? <laughs> it's just observationally, like I, I can't think of any like research I've read about that. I mean, that mm-hmm. feels true to me as well. I don't think that the way that work culture, parent, family culture is designed right now is designed to optimize our mental health, like kids included, because the way that sort of Canadian society has been organized in the last, you know, 50 years or so, maybe more than maybe more like 70 years is that it assumes that there's one person at home to manage an entire household. And then there's one person who goes out to, to make money. And now most of us have double income families. So there's just a lot of time pressure. When I think about wake up in the morning, go, everybody's at work, pick up the kids. Maybe there's activities, maybe there's not. Go eat dinner, bath and bed. And there's just this total work culture, which is something that Anne Douglas talks about um, uh, in her book, Happy Parents, Happy Kids. It's really intense and it's hard on all of our nervous systems, our children's included, because we are carrying so much urgency. And I think that they're carrying a lot of urgency or at least a lot of confusion around why things are so urgent all of the time. But that's not an individual failure. That is a significant structural piece, I think, that I I don't have the answer to. But at least naming that and knowing that can alleviate some of the the guilt around that, which is why we're so interested um, about time management stuff. Like there's so much that comes out of this of trying to make that feeling go away for us. Yeah, no, definitely. And so you, I love the advice about values mapping, but a lot of our, so a lot of our listeners are pregnant. What are some, and I, so like I would recommend to all people who are pregnant to do this values mapping before you even have kids too, in some way so that you can start to figure out the type of parents that you want to be and what's important to your family. Is that a good suggestion? It is a good suggestion. And sometimes it's just seed planting that you may not know what's going to feel important until after you you meet your baby um, because there's so much that goes into – there's so many gaps between what you think it's going to be like versus what it's like. And some of those gaps are really nice. You're like, oh, I didn't know I'd like this as much as I do. And some of those gaps feel really hard. So it's, it's nice to have a base of, of what's important. And some of that may shift when you get to know the kid that you have. Right. Oh, for sure. So what are the – what are like – because I, I want to best prepare um, expecting moms f- who will inevitably feel mom guilt and will inevitably or hopefully not feel parental burnout. What are some things that they can do to prepare themselves now for their – impending expansion of their family? So there was a really great bit of research, the Canadian research that came out in 2004 by a woman named, uh, her last name was Knack, who looked at the markers of like postpartum resiliency and like, who are the people who are having a really smooth transition and what are they doing right? And there are six core pieces that I talk about a lot with pregnant folks. The first is related to self-care and what she found is it wasn't any particular act of self-care that people are doing. It was a sense that they were entitled to it. Like, of course Mm -hmm. I get to take care of myself. 
and really shifting to this family centered model of it. Like if it doesn't work for one person in the family, it doesn't work for anyone. So we need to like keep going back to problem solving and keep getting creative until we can find um, something that feels okay for everyone. The second really similarly is like having enough help. And this means really different things during the pandemic because a lot of what was talked about in that article was having enough physical help. But right now I think it means company, like people who can call us and spend time with us. It can mean emotional support. So going to online spaces and being able to talk about what that what it means for us. But again, entitled to like, of course, I'm not going to do this by myself. Like, of course, I get right. to have support and help around this. The other pieces are related to managing stress. We don't have that much control over our stressors, but just the idea that we can bolster our soothing, our our grounding tools to be managing that stress cycle in our window of tolerance, being ready for the baby. So having everything um, put into place before you meet your baby or your babies. I often think in the years that I worked as a doula that parents who went past their due date and we're like, ugh, I just, I'm so ready for this baby. Like every day they're like irritated. They're still pregnant. That's a good place to be before, mm-hmm. before giving birth. And then setting realistic expectations was, was another piece of it. And I, I think I covered them all, but if I missed one, let me know. I can't remember how many I said now. We said self-care, having enough help, managing your stress, being ready for baby and realistic expectations. Oh yeah. And connecting in with the community. So knowing where you can go to get good advice, trusted advice, and that people who really understand what you're going through. And it, any postpartum experience is totally valid. But yeah, if you're having a really hard time and going to somebody who's just blissed out, like loves the baby stage, like they're probably not going to be the best support for you. You're going to want to find other folks who are having a similar experience or vice versa. If you're loving it and you just want to talk about some aspects that are are a little bit harder, a little bit more tense, and you go to someone who's really struggling, probably not going to feel that good. So trying to connect with others in similar boats. Definitely. I love that. I've, it's all of my friends right now who are having babies for the first time, like my, I'm so sad for them that they don't get to do mom groups because I feel like that the the in-person mommy and me groups were so helpful. And so finding – fight you like figuring out and finding your community is just, you know, when we're – while we're in a pandemic is just so important. Totally. And it's not – it's just really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know you were a doula too. I was. I call myself a retired doula as I – I don't do that work anymore. But I did it for a lot of years. Um, and did you do you did you do most mostly postpartum doula or doula or did you do like birth as well? I did both. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, so you are deeply rooted in this space. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is this is all I do. <laughs> well, I this has been just so informative, and I so appreciate your time and you spending your time talking about this stuff. That's super important as we're closing out twenty twenty. Thank you so much for having me here to talk about this stuff. Really hold parents with a lot of compassion right now and also pregnant folks because I know that even if postpartum feels really smooth, it's just been a really scary time to be pregnant, whether that's around like what's going to happen at the hospital, if you're giving birth in a hospital, like finding the right care provider, will my partner be able to come with me, or just the disappointment of virtual appointments that, yeah, yeah, you're giving birth in a really – 
bizarre period of time that was completely unexpected and you could not have anticipated. And I really am holding hope that by the end of next year, it's going to be better, but it's okay to grieve. Yes. Oh my God. That's, I'm so glad you said that because I I think about even, you know, people who like I, I was pregnant before all this happened and then spent the last seven months of my pregnancy you know, hold up in my home. And then, you know, those people that got pregnant during the pandemic, I think everyone's expectations. Like I remember even being like my friend who was due in August being like, well, you, you know, like it's going to be a totally different ball game. You know, what the spike is already, you know, I just, nobody expected it, even though like they keep telling us it's going to be forever, but like, I just, you just think it's going to be different. And, And yeah. And so it's just, it's tough for everyone and knowing, you know, you're, it will be over soon. Hopefully it's just, yes. it's a tough time. I'm choosing to believe that. I'm like, by the end of next year, things are going to be fairly normal again. That's exactly. what I tell myself anyway. You and me both. You and me both. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. That's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android, and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at juna.co. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.